0: Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, and that to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, as we continue in our exposition here in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 4, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. When they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that you would As we sung, show us Christ through the preaching of your word. As we consider him, would our hearts be enlarged and would our souls be renewed. By your spirit, give to us a greater understanding of the Savior and the redemption he accomplished on our behalf. And may it fuel our worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The genealogy of Jesus Christ came to an end in Luke chapter 3 with these words, Adam, the son of God. And it is with the name of God's son ringing in our ears that Luke draws us into the wilderness of temptation, where God's only begotten was tested and tried. It's in this arena that the true and better Adam was faced with the serpent's assaults. It's in this desert that the second Adam was Confronted with the devil's lies. Well the question is this. How did he fare? How did he respond? What was the outcome? Well we know the answer. He passed. He didn't give in. He withstood the temptation. And he remained our sinless and perfect savior. But you see it's one thing to know it. And it's another thing to see it for ourselves. Which is why Luke brings us now into this very dry and dusty place of isolation that we might see Jesus work, to see the intensity of the testing and to see the strength of his faith. Not so that we might simply see him as an example and learn what practical and necessary steps we need in resisting the devil. No, that is helpful. We will receive some useful means by which we can fight against our sin and the devil but that is not the purpose triumph over sin can only take place not because of our success but because of christ's success he must win the battle and the story of the temptation of jesus is that he has won the battle and luke wants us to see jesus standing in the place of you and of me well before we get into the temptations themselves of which there are three, there are three details that Luke wants us to consider. And so we'll begin with the three details and then we'll close with the three temptations. The first detail that Luke provides for us is that Jesus entered into the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. The narrative begins in chapter 4, verse 1, telling us that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And full of the Holy Spirit because he had just come from the Jordan. And at the banks of the river Jordan, Jesus there, he he was baptized. He identified himself with those whom he came to save, those sinners. And there the the heavens opened and the voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Which then the Holy Spirit then descended upon him in, in bodily form like a dove. And so Jesus, having been freshly endowed with the Spirit, he makes his way into the wilderness. Which is to say, he didn't go deplete with power. Or depending upon his own power. But upon the power of the Spirit. Now think with me here. Why did Jesus need that power? Isn't he God? How was he able to walk on water? How did he feed the 5,000 with the five loaves and two fish? How did he raise Lazarus from the dead? How did he withstand the temptation brought to him by the devil? Isn't it simply because he's God? He truly is the son of God. And that he showed in all that he did. But the question is how? How? Because you see, Jesus didn't live merely according to his divine nature. Inseparably united to his divine nature was his human nature. And what we need as fallen human men and women is a human redeemer who gains for us a human holiness who would die a human death. Jesus needed the Holy Spirit at every step and in every stage of his life and his ministry. Jesus needed the Holy Spirit in every act that took place in his life and for the work of our redemption. Notice he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The angel told Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In his childhood, he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. And he didn't do this on his own. Listen to Basil, not our elder Basil, but The Cappadocian father in the 4th century, he said this. There's not many basils. Even in his childhood, he was not on his own, but had the Spirit as his inseparable companion. At every point, the Spirit was with Jesus and upon Jesus. And full of the Holy Spirit, he enters into the wilderness. But I want you to notice, notice how he exits And when it all ends, look with me in chapter 4, verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And notice that when Jesus comes into the Galilee and into his hometown of Nazareth, he steps into the synagogue and handed to him was the scroll of Isaiah. And out of all the passages in which he could read, he opened up to Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. What is Luke trying to tell us? That Jesus didn't simply pull from his divine power, but that he depended upon the Holy Spirit. In other words, when he entered into the wilderness, he didn't in some way cheat. He didn't use some cheat code. His obedience was a real obedience. His holiness was a real holiness. Jesus is our Savior by the Holy Spirit. And for us as Christians, that very same Spirit has been given to me and to you indwelling inside of us that we might live in dependence upon the Spirit, that we might face every temptation and trial in the Spirit's power, that we might walk by the Spirit And so Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. But notice here, he was also led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And you'll see that there in the beginning of chapter 4. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, which is to say that it wasn't an accident that Jesus found himself in that place. He didn't stumble into the wilderness because he had wandered and somehow he got lost and now found himself Oh, here I am in the wilderness. No. He was there for a reason. He was led by the Spirit to that very desert. It was by conviction that He decided to be there. What we find then about our Savior is this. That He was willing. That Jesus was willing. Willing to receive the assaults of the devil. Willing to endure through the testing. Willing to go to the place where all others had failed. Willing to save sinners. And notice he didn't run from it, but he pursued it. Which tells me that Jesus is a willing Savior who at each and every point was never reluctant to save. And so Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit Into the wilderness. The second detail that we need to consider is that we are introduced to the devil for the first time here in Luke's gospel. But there isn't some kind of formal introduction to him. He simply comes into the scene here. And that shouldn't come as a surprise to us, as he is, after all, the ancient serpent of old. He's always been there from the time he was made and from the time he fell. And while there can be this overemphasis upon the devil where the devil is to blame for everything and everything is due because of the devil and that all the temptations in which we face come from the devil, Christians forget that there is a source of temptation that comes from within and by our own sinful desires and our own sinful wants that proceed from our fallen human nature. But I think for us, we, we tend to think the other way. Where there is an under-emphasis upon the devil. Almost without any recognition. And that, that kind of ignorance can be, can be harmful to us. To live in such a reckless way. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, resist him firm in your faith. And so Peter isn't giving us a hypothetical situation here. But what is taking place in the moment, that the devil who is a murderer and a liar, he is active and he is alive. And so the activities of the devil, they, they should never surprise us. We understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness. This battle should be expected. That the devil who cannot rob us of heaven is out to make our lives very painful. That Satan who is unable to destroy our souls will seek to work his woe and to bruise our heels. And so Christian, let us beware. Let us beware then, thinking lightly of his power. He was victorious over God's first son when Adam willfully disobeyed his father in the garden. He was able to bring down God's second son and the people of Israel when they grumbled against God in the wilderness. And the the devil, upon hearing the declaration from heaven, you are my beloved son, With with you I am well pleased. He is set on doing the same with the last. The third and last detail that I want us to see is this. I want you to see the environment in which Jesus was tempted. That his temptation took place not by the river, or in the synagogue, or in the temple. But it took place in the wilderness. And in the wilderness because that was the very place in which the devil prevailed and God's sons fell. And I alluded to this last week. For the people of Israel, the wilderness was the place of testing. It was in the wilderness that Israel wandered for for 40 years where they grumbled and they complained. They made idols. They fell into sexual immorality. They went after other gods. And despite all that God had provided for them, their, their failure at the end of the day was that of unbelief. For 40 days... Israel sent out spies into the land of promise. And in light of God's promise to give them the victory, they rebelled. They they refused to believe. And so they had to wander that wilderness for 40 years. A year for every day in which the spies were in that land. And so it is not by coincidence that Jesus took residence in the same place for the same amount of days. For 40 days, we're told, he was in the wilderness. And while God provided for the people of Israel food and water and manna and quail, drink, notice in the wilderness, Jesus had nothing. Look at verse 2. For 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. While the second son had everything, this last son had nothing. And you see the same can be said of the first son. There in the garden, Adam had every tree at his disposal except one. He lived in plenty. He lived in abundance. Never in want or in hunger. There was nothing more that he needed. God had provided for Adam to satisfy both body and soul. He lived in sweet, An unbroken fellowship with his father. Enjoying all the provisions of his creator. And you might say that Adam lived in an environment that was most conducive to obedience. Yet despite the most perfect of conditions. He did not believe God. He did not trust God. And by Adam's failure. The garden in which he lived and enjoyed had turned into a wilderness. A wilderness described not as a place of plenty, but as a place of absence. It's because in that place where it was once a paradise had now been turned into a desert. The place of perfect fellowship between God and men, now destroyed. The place of peace, now the place of enmity and death. Well why is Jesus entering into that wilderness? It's because as Romans 5:19 states, for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. He's there to be faithful. He's there to be faithful where all others had failed. To be faithful, not in a garden, but in the wilderness. Where all the benefits in which Adam had enjoyed had been taken away. While there was plenty of food for Adam, there was none for Jesus. While Adam knew only the feeling of being filled. We find here in verse 2 that Jesus was empty. Fasting for 40 days. Luke tells us what any normal man would have experienced. That Jesus, after 40 days... He was hungry. And so here is Jesus physically destitute and weak, circumstantially at a disadvantage. Now it all means this. It all means this, Christian. That the temptation in which Jesus will encounter in the wilderness, in every measure, will be far greater than the temptation that Adam faced in the garden. If anyone has a right to give an excuse, it was Jesus. Yet here he is entering the wilderness at his weakest point while Adam lived in the garden in plenty and in full at his strongest point. But we know the outcome. And it's for that reason that no one can lay the accusation against the Lord Jesus that in our own temptations that Jesus doesn't understand. He does understand. He understands far greater and far more You you see, it's for this very reason that Jesus didn't give in and yield to the temptation that the devil deployed all of his power and all of his resources to destroy him. And as he resisted, the temptation became stronger and stronger. The temptation became more and more intense. And the very fact that Jesus didn't fall means that he endured all. All that the devil had poured out. Against him. All. Satan had to push himself. To his farthest limits. When assaulting Jesus. But he remained standing. He remained faithful. Despite facing the pressure of temptation like no one else before. Which means this. He is truly able to sympathize with our weakness and with our temptations. And so with those three details in mind, Jesus, He enters into the wilderness. He leaves the place of His baptism, which was for Jesus a period of honor and glory, and to the wilderness where He will be met with conflict and suffering. Where He will meet His great adversary. And so we come now to the first temptation, which we find in verse 3. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. He comes to Jesus when he is hungry and starving and weak. In other words, the devil approaches him when Jesus is at his lowest point. And here in his first attempt, invites Jesus to fulfill his hunger and to satisfy his need. Now, was Jesus able to turn those stones into bread? Yes, he was. John the Baptist, he claimed that Jesus was able to take stones and to raise them up as children of Abraham. And then later, Jesus took five loaves and two fish. And we know the story. He fed a multitude. And so he was absolutely able. So why was it wrong then for Jesus to turn the stone into bread? And to satisfy his hunger. Jesus, like any man, he ate when he was hungry. So why, why can't he eat now? It's because the devil was doing something in tempting Jesus. He was tempting Jesus to question the love and the goodness of God. You see, it wasn't so much about food as it was about trust. It's the temptation for Jesus to take into his own hands... The provision of what he needs and not to trust in God's provision of what he needs. Satan is in essence saying this, where's your father? Aren't you the son whom he loves? I don't doubt that Satan was there at the river hearing the voice from heaven. He was there. If he loved you, he would have provided for you. He would have provided food for you and not let you suffer. Here's what you ought to do. Turn that stone into bread. The devil is insinuating that the father has forgotten about his son. And thus he must provide for himself. What is the temptation? It's to question his father. And isn't that what occurred in the garden? The servant came and asked Eve, Did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The devil was doing the same thing, insinuating into the mind of Eve to question the goodness of God, that God is not generous, that God is not providing, that God is keeping what is good from you. So then take matters into your own hands and do it yourself. Eve, take it and eat. Well, what does the devil tell Jesus? Take, take this stone and eat take the stone and turn it into bread and eat. Adam and Eve, they took and they ate. But Jesus responded back to Satan, verse 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. His answer comes out of Scripture, out of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so where Adam failed through disobedience and Israel through grumbling, Jesus tells Satan, I will keep trusting. Church, how many times has the devil confronted us to question the goodness of God? More than we can count. Tempting us to believe That we don't have what we need to truly be happy and to truly be filled. That happens to all of us. We start working on the Lord's day and we neglect his worship. We start looking at unbelievers and attempting to find a spouse. We believe not that God has in mind what is best for us. And so we take matters into our own hands. We all feel this temptation. But this is why it was so important for Jesus to go and that for us into the desert of temptation. Notice Jesus when speaking to Satan, he doesn't say, I, I shall not live by bread alone. You see that there? But instead he says, man shall not live by bread alone. Why? It's because Jesus Christ there is in the wilderness withstood the temptation in the place of sinful and broken men. You see what he's doing? He is reversing the effects of Adam. He is withstanding the temptation upon which you and I have failed. And so he says, not I, but man shall not live by bread alone. And I am that man, says Jesus, standing in the place Of ruined men. I will live upon every word. That comes from the mouth of God. That when all of hell was breaking loose against him. While he was weak. While he was hungry. While he was fragile. He kept trusting. Trusting upon God. And his word. And trusting upon God and his word. In order to take the words of temptation. Take and eat. To take those words of temptation, take and eat, and to turn it into words of salvation. And so he says to you and to me, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Jesus conquered the devil's first temptation by choosing faithfulness to God. Well, the devil tries for a second time in verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Satan's offer is a very large one. He showed the son all the kingdoms of the world. It was an offer of authority and glory and power. And notice this temptation here is not just a conversation, but it's a visual one. Look, Jesus, the whole world. The whole world will be yours if you but submit to me. Now, the devil had every right to offer that kind of global package. He is, after all, the prince of the power of the air. He is the God of this world. 1 John 5.19 says that the whole world lies in the power of the Of the evil one. And so here he is in the wilderness. Now willing to give it all to Jesus. To give his dominion to him. If the son of God would but worship him. Now what is the devil seeking to do. In this second temptation. He's wanting Jesus to do this. To receive the crown. Apart from the cross. Well what do you mean? All that the devil showed him, what was in time, it was going to be his. In the first temptation, the devil said, if you are the son of God. Here in the second temptation, the devil says, yes, Jesus, you are the son of God. And as the son of God, the kingdoms of this world, they belong rightfully to you. Again, the devil was there at the river where God proclaimed Jesus to be his son. And there we heard echoes of Psalm chapter 2, where in Psalm chapter 2, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make you the nations. I will give you the nations, your heritage, and the ends of the earth, your possession. It's the father telling the son, all authority, all glory, all power is yours. But the question is this, how, how will he obtain it? How will he receive it? How will the one whom the Father declared, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, how will he take it? And the answer is through suffering. By way of a very high cost. The cross. What is the devil doing? He is tempting Jesus to bypass Calvary and to go straight to glory. I will give you all the kingdoms of this world by a much easier way. I will give you ecstasy apart from the agony, the crown without the cross. All you have to do is worship me. What an offer for Jesus. It's a shortcut to what was rightfully His. Well, how would someone like you and me responded to such a tempting proposal? Isn't it true that you and I would have, we would have taken the easy way? How many times do we find ourselves wanting to take the shortcut at the expense of our faith? To compromise, to get what we believe we deserve. But Jesus had his eyes set upon the cross. He was resolute in doing the Father's will. When Jesus told his disciples that he had to suffer at the hands of the chief priests and the elders and the scribes and be killed and on the third third day be raised. Do you remember remember what Peter did? Peter took Jesus to the side and Peter rebuked him. He said, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And how did Jesus respond? Get behind me, Satan. Jesus knew all too well the devil's mission. That the Son of God leave the cross behind. Ultimately, this is how Jesus responded. And Paul says it no better way. Listen to Paul. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's how Jesus responded. He obeyed His Father. But the devil is not yet finished and he comes for a third And last time, verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem. And he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. It seems as if the devil has caught on to Jesus' pattern. If Jesus was going to resist the temptation with Scripture, perhaps the way to defeat him is with Scripture. And so the devil thought that he had found an area of weakness. If I could get Jesus to sin, it would have to be on the basis of something God had said in his word. And so he tells Jesus, throw yourself down. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. And why should you do so? It's because God has said in his word that he would protect you. His angels will come and save you. Well, what was the devil trying to do? He was trying to have the son put his father to the test. By tempting Jesus to demand a sign instead of taking God at his word. Prove, prove that you are the son of God. Prove it. By throwing yourself down. Well, how did Jesus answer? He refused. He refused to presume upon his father's protection. Or he refused to demand any further proof that he was the son of God. He had heard the father say it from the voice from heaven, and that was enough. He simply took God At his word. Verse 12. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, what was the devil trying to do? He was trying to get Jesus to abandon the cross at all costs. Prove, to prove that he was the Son of God by leaping down from the pinnacle. Rather than dying on the cross. And it was the devil who brought this very same temptation at the Son of God when he hung upon the cross. Remember what the people shouted? If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Remember that's what they said. Save yourself. Save yourself. And throw yourself down from there. If you really are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Well, what did it mean for Jesus to trust God? It meant that He remained there, nailed and suspended upon that cross. It meant that rather than proving Himself to be the Son of God in that instant, He proved Himself to be the Son of God through suffering and through trusting. No matter how tempting it was to take the easier path, no matter what circumstances Jesus Found himself in. He kept trusting his Father, obeying him. And you see what we find here in the wilderness is that Jesus took this place of grumbling and unbelief and he turned it into a place of trusting. A place of trusting for you and for me. That his trusting would be our trusting. That his obedience would be our obedience. That his faith would be our faith. That his life would be our life. That the righteousness he fulfilled would be ours to receive. This is what the story of the temptation of Jesus means: that he didn't withstand and resist as an example, but as our Savior. If you're not a Christian here, why should you even care? You might be listening to me. Why should I care? Simply put, it's because as Jesus stood firm in the wilderness, He was able to offer a perfect sacrifice upon the cross. That's why you should care. In order to save men and women like yourself and from your sin, And this salvation he offers is for you to take and to receive. If you come to him trusting God at his word. Trusting that you are a great sinner, but that Christ is a great savior. Trusting that though your sins be as scarlet, Christ will wash them white as snow. Do you believe that? If you're not a Christian, do you believe that? Do you trust that Christ is able to save you and deliver you no matter how awful you might think your sins may be? Know that Christ is willing. He's willing. If you come to Him in trusting faith, He will in no way, He will in no way refuse you. So many opportunities were given to Him To abandon and to flee. But he didn't. You see, what we have in Christ, non Christian, is a willing Savior. Verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Well, when did that opportune time come? It came when Jesus was found not to be in the wilderness. But in the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus facing the full onslaught of pressure from the devil to abandon the cross with the weight of sin upon his shoulders, he fell down upon his face and he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. The temptation was real. And yet Jesus kept trusting. And he said, not as I will but as you will. And trusting Jesus did even even to the point of death. You see, church, the reason, and here's the practical. If you're like, Pastor Danny, I want to know some practicals. Here's the practical. The The reason why I can withstand the temptation is because His trusting has become my trusting. That's the only way. How do we respond? How do we respond? We respond, and I close by reading to you Hebrews chapter 4. And listen to these words, because this is how we respond. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. By drawing near to Him and by casting ourselves upon Him. That's how we respond. By coming to Him. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Savior, we know that as we draw near to You, that it is really You drawing near to us. That You pursue us. That You search us. We thank you for the willing Savior we have in Jesus who knows all our weaknesses, who in standing in our place has withstood the test, for resisting in which at every point we would have given in, for obeying in which at every point we would have failed, and we did fail. What a grace that we who are saved who are in Christ, that we have all that Christ has done For us. Yet forgive us for the times. In which we act and think contrary to. To him whom we belong. For reverting back to our old ways. For giving in to the temptations. That come to us. We pray the Lord's prayer. That you lead us not into temptation. That we fall not into the sin. But deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom. The power. The power